here. Good morning. Yeah, you can respond. It's all good. We're a happy family. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah, all right. Sweet. It's good to be here. I'm excited just to share what God has um, just on my heart and what he's placed on my heart. Uh, I think sometimes uh, what he's placed on my heart is what Jonathan is thinking. Uh, the truth is, Jonathan was, when we were going through all the planning stages of this, uh, we were saying, hey, you know, this, this is a great time to talk about the next generation. And I'm not talking about Star Trek or Star Wars or anything like that specifically our children, the next generation of people that are coming up behind us. And so uh, for me, this is incredibly relevant. Um, If you don't know, my wife and I are expecting. uh, We're 20 weeks in, so we're about halfway there. And uh, let me just tell you, every single time we've gone to see a sonogram, it's almost like there's a new area in me that grows. Like it's, it's a new area of love that it's like, dang, like I didn't think I could, I could have that before, you know? And, And I think it's just because that's something that God deposits in us. It's, it's as we, we see our future before us, as we see our children and our young people, I think it does something in us that God wants to connect with, and he wants to grow in us the love that maybe we just didn't have or even have the capacity for. And so uh, I'm really excited to share with you a little bit about this. If you haven't been uh, tracking with us, we've actually been going through a series this entire summer called Jesus Among the People. And so Uh, We started off early in the summer, back in late May. We're still going through, and really what we're doing is we're looking at stories throughout the the book of Luke where Jesus is encountering uh, people, just regular people who have situations that are just above and beyond what they're capable of solving on their own. It's Jesus who's coming and meeting people right where they're at. And that's not just relevant to people back then, but it's relevant just to us here today as well. And so Uh, If you haven't been able to keep an eye on or check out some of those messages, you can go back to our audio vault at our website, check those out. Uh, There's a lot of cool stuff in there, a lot of good information. Um, In any case, uh, one thing that I want to specify here, when we're talking about the next generation, a lot of times because we live in a college town and because uh, for many of us are acquainted with or associated with K-State here, a lot of times our mind automatically goes to college students. I want to go even deeper than that. I want to go further back than that. Yes, it includes college students, but even more so, I think it deals with our young people, even at an infant stage. And we'll actually see this here um, as we get into uh, the book of Luke. And in fact, if you have your Bibles with me, please turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Uh, the, the message or the, the verses will be up here on the screen for you if you don't have it, so you can follow along with us. But what I want to do is before we move into and actually read uh, what uh, Luke is actually writing about Jesus here and what Jesus is saying, uh, what I want to do is set the context for us and set the stage for where uh, he's at. Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly ministry. Um, He's a short time away from uh, being turned over into uh, the the Sanhedrin to be judged uh, and to ultimately go to the cross on behalf of all of us. And so he's a very short time away from this happening. Uh, in, in the chapter prior to this, chapter 17, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about how uh, there's different characteristics of the kingdom of God. The more uh, high-level stuff, like this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what the kingdom of God is like. When we get into chapter 18, he's talking more specifically about the character of the people who will inherit the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So not only is it just about the characteristics, but it's about the people who are receiving or who inherit the kingdom of God. So really, I guess that begs the question, what's the kingdom of God? 
Well, first and foremost, it's the rule and reign of God which is emanating or coming from or flowing from the throne of God. It's God's rule and it's God's reign. And so a lot of times um, that has implications that go far beyond uh, the, the general idea or the belief that our mission as Christians is just one day to get to heaven. If God's rule and God's reign is coming from heaven, it's, being, it's flowing from heaven, it has to flow somewhere, right? It has to go somewhere. And that rule, that, that rule and reign of God is moving into our very midst. In fact, that's exactly what uh, Luke 17, verse 20 through 21 says. The kingdom actually has come. Jesus says it yourself. The kingdom is in your midst. It's here. It's among you. It's so important for us to grasp that. But then also, it's still coming. It kind of, it's, it's a bit of a paradox, actually, when you think about it. The kingdom has come, but it's still coming, right? The kingdom is still coming. Matthew 6, 9 through 10, it's the Lord's Prayer. It's Jesus saying, Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done, talking to God, on earth as it is in heaven, right? He's praying that his kingdom will be made manifest here. That's the goal. That's ultimately what Jesus is concerned with. In fact, even just a few verses later in Matthew 6.33, you can write that down. I don't have it up here, but Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom. And all the things, all these things that I've been talking about will be added to you. So Jesus' mentality wasn't just about coming here to earth to rescue us out of our sin. Yes, he did that. That's important. It's not just for us to get to heaven, but it's about bringing heaven here to the very earth that we, uh, we live on. Does that make sense? Does anyone, you follow? All right. You guys can hoot and holler. You can respond. You can say, yeah, that's good. You know, feel free. I enjoy it. I like knowing that you guys are, are following here, so feel free to go ahead and do that. Um, it encourages me. All right, so let's pick up. In Luke chapter 18, verse 15 through 16. Now they, these are the people that Jesus is ministering to, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. A couple weeks ago, we talked a little bit about uh, the power that touch has. A woman who uh, had a significant encounter, she basically was uh, uh, bleeding for 12 years. I had a hemorrhage for 12 years. She, couldn't, she went and exhausted her entire resources, everything she had to find a solution, a physical solution. She went to every doctor she could. She couldn't do it. All she did was touch Jesus, and she was healed of that problem for 12 years instantly. So I imagine when people see that, they say, man, if Jesus just touched my child, what incredible things are they in store for? Right? Here it is. He just wanted, they wanted people to, uh, they wanted Jesus to touch them. So when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. I guess the question is, why would the disciples, after seeing all the things that Jesus is capable of doing, just with a single touch, why would he rebuke parents from bringing even their children? It's a, it's a really good question. This is something I was thinking about as I was reading through this. It's like, why would, why would the disciples prevent people from coming to Jesus? Isn't that why he's here? And the truth is, one of the things that they... Um, they felt was Jesus was too busy dealing with the adults, right? All these adults got all their problems. 
Jesus is coming, and he's here for them. He's not here for these little kids who can't even communicate with him or understand what's happening, right? He's coming for the very people that will pay him respect. So I think what happened was, in the minds of the disciples, they were like, don't, don't waste time with these kids, Lord. Don't, they, we need, there's real people with real needs over here. They know what's going on. These little ones, they don't understand. No, this, is, this is just a waste of time. I think that's what most of the disciples were thinking, maybe not all of them. But I think really what, what we see here is that Jesus understood the significance that young people have. Um, children in ministry, which extends back to the very beginnings of Judaism in uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a book where the law is being spoken to all the people. And so here in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9, we have uh, these words coming actually straight from Moses. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is the law he's referring to. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. So basically what Moses is saying here regarding the law, it's everywhere. Put it everywhere. It needs to be in front of your children, your offspring, their children forever, all the time, constantly. The, the one section here that uh, I really think is interesting is when, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, when you sit in your house. I mean, on, in all situations, I mean, that, that, that encompasses everything, right? Like, in all cases, you're doing one of those activities. So really what Moses is saying is you need to saturate your children in what God is saying they need to do. You need to saturate them in the word. You need to saturate them in the law because it's good. In fact, here in Proverbs 22, uh, King Solomon writes this, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child. So important. The disciples knew this stuff. Many of them had early education that was focused on Old Testament uh, the, the law. First five books of the Old Testament, even the prophets. They understood all of these things. Yet, for some reason, they either turned their brain off in this instance or didn't really see the need, right? And Jesus is saying, no, like, let them come to me. Let them come to me. So let's talk a little bit about the next generation, why it's so important for us to reach young people, why it's so important for us to reach college students, uh, preteens, teens, people in that age group. Here are some statistics. 77% of all believers, everyone who says I'm following Christ actively to this day, 77% of all believers accept Christ as Lord and Savior before age 21. 43% before the age of 13. It's almost half. It's a lot of people. 43% before age 13. Before age 13... 50% are led to Christ by immediate family members. Another 20% are led by a relative or friend. So in other words, of those 43% of people who choose to follow Christ with the rest of their lives, of the 43% of people who are walking around who are actively Christians today, people in this room, the odds are that 70% of you were led to Christ by an immediate family member, a relative, or a friend. Right? 
Does that show the impact a little bit about the importance of family and the importance that Jesus placed on having family in young people's lives? It's so important. Um, and this is really one of those things that's, that's challenging in this day's culture. Uh, a lot of what we see that's going out today, and it, this isn't in my PowerPoint, so um, just follow along with me. A number of marriages that we see today, a lot of them end in divorce. Uh, we all know this, I think. There's a number of, of people who, uh, who've been through that divorce process with children involved. Many of us in this room have probably had an effect of somebody in our lives to that nature, right? And so the thing I want to illustrate here is that when, you, when you're pulling apart the family system the way that God designed it to be, ultimately what's happening is we're not just sacrificing our lives, we're sacrificing our future, our future's lives, our kids' lives, to something that is not what God designed for us. And the truth is, I want to be clear, there, there is redemption. God offers so much redemption in a lot of different areas, specifically in the area of divorce. I think that oftentimes... Um, it's tough pushing through a lot of those things. People have experiences that drive them. I know um, a number of people that I'm closely connected with, their, their parents got divorced, and, and it's affected them for 20 years. And so this is, this is something that's so critical for us to understand, the nature of, of marriage, the nature of our children. All of this is at stake. Moral foundations. Moral foundations are firmly established by age nine. Uh, there's a quote here that I want to read. Barna, this is uh, where all these statistics came from. It's the Barna Group. They do a uh, study of family, the effects of Christianity on culture. Uh, so they're basically just an organization that does a lot of statistics. And so uh, Barna showed data indicating that in most cases, people's spiritual beliefs are irrevocably formed when they are in preteens. Upon comparing data from a national survey of 13-year-olds with identical survey of, among adults, Barna found that the belief profile related to a dozen central spiritual principles was identical between the two groups. So in other words, let me, let me break this down. You have uh, 13-year-olds, a group of 13-year-olds over here, a group of adults over here. They did surveys where they were just trying to figure out, okay, what are some of the common core beliefs of Christianity, of, of following Christ? What does that look like? And what they found is among the 13-year-olds, there's really no difference between the adults. They're pretty much the same. So let's go on. Those beliefs, these are what the beliefs they were testing were. Those beliefs include perceptions of the nature of God, the existence of Satan, the reliability of the Bible, perceptions regarding the afterlife, the holiness of Jesus Christ, the means of gaining God's favor, and the influence of spiritual forces in a person's life. In essence, what you believe by the time you are 13 is what you will die believing. Now, I want to preface that statement. I underlined it for a purpose. I want to preface that statement by saying what's impossible for man is possible for God. If you are at a point, you're past 13 years old, you've, you know, you've, many people in this room, I know a number of people in this room who've accepted Christ and changed the very way that they're even living, the way, the way that they see the world. There is redemption, there is hope in Christ alone. But for the most part, I think what this study is showing and demonstrating is that the importance that pouring into young people has on the rest of their lives, up to the age of 13. It's so important for us to understand that young people are critical. They're critical in seeing culture transformed and impacted by the, the, the kingdom of God. So 
So let's pick up Luke, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Yeah. If you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, you will not enter it. What does that, what does that mean? What does it look like to be childlike? I'm not talking about childish. I know there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, you know, I got that one covered, man. Like, don't worry. It's good. You know, some of you never grew up, still want to be a kid. Hey, the truth is, being childlike, it extends uh, even further. It's not just being childish. There's a difference. Childishness generally deals with selfishness, right? The things that Christ doesn't want to bring into our lives that gives us freedom. So what does it look to be childlike? Here's how we can be childlike. Number one, be honest with yourself and with others. Be honest with yourself and with others. I think what happens, uh, if I'm pretty sure everybody in this room has either been a kid, they have kids. Yeah, I mean, everybody's been a kid in this room, of course. So, <laughs> you've either you, you either have kids, or you will have kids, or you've been a kid, right? All of those three encompass every single person in this room. So this is relevant. Many of you probably have stories where your kids, or you know, you have stories of, of other kids who are just being brutally honest, right? to adults or to other kids. It's just like, you know, like that's, that's hilarious. I, I don't understand why it's so funny. You know what? Here's an example. Check it out. personally think I look just fine. No, I don't know what you all think. No, Daddy. There's, a, there's the head and the body. Where is that at? In my tummy. Right now? Yeah. What? Yeah. I knew it because you were fat. My <laughs> shadow. What's this? Lip gloss. I already got some on it. Are you kidding, Santa? Oh, that just, it just cracks me up. Every single time I see kids just, there's some things that kids can get away with that us adults can't, right? I mean, if I said some of those things to my wife, I'd get probably slapped and ignored for like a week, right? But I think the truth is, there's something endearing about just what, what kids have, that they have just an honesty, a, a genuine honesty about them that sometimes we just aren't honest with ourselves, we just don't have that. We're not honest with other people either. And honestly, that's, honestly, that's hilarious. But what we're doing is we're holding back. We're holding back what God wants to do in every single one of our lives when we're being dishonest with ourselves and with other people in the reality of where God wants us to be. The second thing we need is we need to be humble and we need to recognize our need. We need to be humble and we need to recognize your need. And this last week, I was with um, just a couple of uh, partners, people who uh, financially support us, and um, they have uh, two foster kids who are three years old. They're twins. And m- let me just tell you, their personalities are uh, three years old. They're completely different. 
One is very emotive, very feeling. This is how I'm feeling. The other one is very intellectual. You can tell just by looking at them. She's got her little wheels spinning in her brain trying to figure things out. You know, even the way she talks. She's very rational with the way she talks. It's a three-year-old that's like, wow, that's crazy. How, how does that work? Two people who were born at the exact same time have completely different qualities. And the one thing I really uh, appreciated was the emotive one. Uh, she saw her, her sister and stepmom, go, or uh, foster mom, go to the bathroom. You know, because the little one, she realized, she's like, hey, I, I, need to use, I need to go potty, right? If you're parents, you understand exactly what's about to happen. Like, can you do it by yourself, you know? You're three years old. If That's pretty impressive if you can do it by yourself. And she's like, no, I can't. I need help, you know, sitting at the dinner table. So uh, Mary gets up. She's like, okay, you know, we'll go into the bathroom. The emotive one doesn't like this, okay? She's there at the dinner table, and she's like, where are you going? You are leaving me. Why are you leaving me? She runs to the bathroom, banging on the door, and she ends up having a total just like tantrum right on the floor. Like full fours like were completely off the floor. Like it was pretty hilarious, truthfully. Yeah, that's, that's going to be me here in about a year or less, I should say. But it's amazing. They, they recognized their need. The one had an emotional need. I want connection, right? I don't want you to leave me. I want connection. The other one realized, hey, I have a real tangible need. I need help going to the bathroom. They both recognize their need within the two seconds of each other. It, it happens so quickly. And that's something I think that many of us can learn from. So many of us can learn from. Uh, book of James, chapter 4, verse 10 says this, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So what that's saying is when I bring myself to a position of lowness to, in respect to God, when I understand how great, how incredible, how awesome he is, what he's capable of doing, and I humble myself before him, he's the one who will lift you up. It's not you lifting yourself up. It's him who lifts you up. Does that make sense? Third thing, be bold and courageous. Uh, Back when I was 19 and 20 years old, I worked at a Christian summer camp, a lot of students. uh, And my very first year there, I was working with six, seven, and eight-year-olds. And by the way, this is week-long camp, okay? Week-long. So for many of these kids, uh, they never have been away from home for more than maybe a day, if that. So when you're separating them from their family, from their parents for a week, holy cow, it's, it's wild. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing when you see uh, so many kids who just have homesickness, um, they can't handle it, a lot of... A lot of bedwetters, um, have a few experiences with that. Uh, just a lot of things. You get to experience everything that these kids have to offer. But the one thing that I was really amazed by, just by six, seven, and eight-year-olds, is how bold and courageous they were. I was amazed by it. There was this uh, little seven-year-old. During that week, um, we were talking a little bit. I was you know, sharing with him about Jesus and what he did for us, and and how he could be his Lord and Savior. And he said, yeah, I want that. I want to accept Jesus. And so I said, okay. So, you know, I led him to Christ, and and, uh, he just got, you could see, like, his wheels were spinning. He just got fired up immediately that whole week. And at the end of the week, we were talking to him, and I just asked, hey, like, how was your week? What did you think of it? And he said to me, I really got a lot out of this week. 
in two weeks, it's my birthday. And instead of giving all the kids little party gifts, I'm going to give them all Bibles. Right? Isn't that precious, right? I'm going to give them all Bibles. What one of us, if we have a birthday party, is going to give all of our friends Bibles, right? Us putting ourselves out there. It's amazing. You see little kids who just, they don't care what people think of them. Sometimes they do, I should say. But for the most part, you see a lot of kids and the boldness and courageousness they have. It's, it's incredible. And that's something that, um, that Jesus wants to deposit into us, just a boldness and a courage. And the last thing is to be totally dependent on Christ. To be totally dependent on Christ. When kids are born, they can't do anything. I've been learning this. This is, you know, as we've been going through the process of um, preparing for a child, it's, hey, they, they, you know, all they can do is cry, scream, and sleep, and poop, right? They don't, they don't do a whole lot. Just those things. So, what does that mean for, for us? We have a responsibility to our children to take care of them. That's the only way that they'll be able to survive. If we don't take care of them, they don't survive. In a similar sense, if we're not being taken care of by Christ, if he's not the center, if we're not totally dependent on him, our life, it won't matter. Jesus said it even here. Check this out. This is, this is the words of Jesus himself. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He sets the record completely straight here. You can't do anything apart from me. You can't have a Christian life apart from me. Obviously, that's, that sounds ridiculous when we say that. But a lot of us try to live like that, right? We try to make Jesus something that he's not. We try to make him just our savior. But remember what we talked about at the very beginning. The kingdom of God is about bringing heaven here to the earth. And that means internal transformation of every single one of us so that we can be transformers of culture around us. It's not just about me getting to heaven and just accepting Jesus as a savior. It's about lordship, and that's an area that we need to be completely dependent on Christ for. We need him for every area of our lives. Apart from him, we can do nothing. This is challenging stuff. I'll be honest, when I was reading through this, I, I was really like, man, I am not, I'm not doing half of this stuff. What does it look like for me as a believer if I'm following exactly what Jesus is saying, if I'm, if I'm pursuing him, if I'm totally dependent on him, if I'm bold and courageous, right? If I'm honest with myself, if I'm humble, if I have all of these characteristics, what would that look like for me? And what would that look like for people around me that I'm in constant contact with? What kind of transformation would I see in my friends, in my family, in the young people that we encounter? Amazing. I think sometimes Jesus, when he spoke in the book of Luke and he spoke throughout the Gospels, a lot of times he's just taking, you know, a two-by-four and just whacking people over the head with it. Because you think, like, okay, like, I'm going to read this thing and let me work on it. Okay, wow, he's going somewhere else. That's crazy. Now he's saying something else. Like, now, what the heck? 
He's challenging the regular system the way that people think. Their paradigm system. The way that they see the world. And the reason why is because he knew this is not going to work. If you follow after me, if you pursue me, if you're totally dependent on me, trust me, you'll experience a degree of freedom that you'll never experience anywhere else. And it's so true. I mean, I, like I said earlier, I know so many people in this room who've been radically changed by, by Christ and what he says and what he's doing. And he's actively moving in their lives today. And you look years back, radical difference, radical change. It's true in my life too. I was one of those guys who would go down to Aggieville and get wasted on Friday and Saturday nights, and now here I am preaching on Sunday mornings. I'm, I'm not saying this to, to, to root for me. I'm saying this to root for him. Because there's no way I would be here. There's no way I would be able to have an impact with people unless he radically was the one who came in and transformed my life. There's no way. doesn't matter if you go through any 12 steps or 7 habits or any of these things. Yes, those are helpful tools. But there is nothing that will radically transform your life and give you a degree of freedom that you've never experienced before aside from Christ himself. There's no way to do it. There's no way. We are completely, completely hopeless. There's that verse that says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. Many of us in this room, maybe we're at the end of our rope. And we just said, you know what, God, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you are. How can you help me? I haven't heard from you in a long time. You know what the truth is? A lot of times, when I think through why I haven't heard from God, it's because he's already told me to do something and I'm just not walking in it. I'm not, I'm not doing what he's telling me to do. So maybe trace back a little bit. God, where did, you, where did you say I need to change this habit or this relationship or the people I acquaint with? What do I need to do? How do I do that? I would say, man, get, get before God and figure out what that is. Pray to him, God, what is it? Please reveal it to me one more time. God, please. We need a desperation about us. Let me pray. God, I thank you for uh, what you're doing. God, I thank you for your word. God, that it, it pierces right through the junk, right into our very hearts. And God, you don't hold back. And you don't hold back because you desire us greater than we could ever desire you. And God, I pray that we would just have a glimpse, we would have a, a, an understanding of where you want us to go, where you want us to move. God, that we would have a childlike faith about us, God. I pray that we'd be honest with ourselves, with other people around us. God, I pray that we'd be, we'd be humble. We'd recognize our need, that we need you. I pray for a boldness and courageousness in these people right now that you would just deposit it on their hearts. And God, most of all, I pray that we would be totally dependent on you. Pray for our children, the people who are coming behind us. God, that we would live lives that are, that are worthy of the calling that you've called us to. That we would be a demonstration of, of just your goodness, your love. 
and how you have a power, a power that can transform lives. God, I, I pray that we would see that and we would be an example to people behind us. God, we thank you for what you've done in this place this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen.